Hello everyone, welcome back to part three of the Stompcast. Dr. Ron and I are, are, are wandering away. Are you enjoying your time on the Stompcast? Alex, I've got to say I'm loving it. I, I, I haven't been out to move my body yet today. It's been one of those Mondays. There were some issues in the house and all sorts. And compared to when we started recording, I feel like a different person. Right? We so all know happy. that, don't we? Moving our so body happy. is good. But the irony is when you're not feeling good and you've got loads on, you kind of think, no, I, I don't have time. Yeah. But yeah, I really appreciate the invite oh, because this is great. Thank you. It means, and from you, that, that means a lot. And I guess it's that kind of reminder that sometimes the thing we need the most, you know, when, when we need to be doing that thing is sometimes when we want to do it the least, isn't yeah, it? And 100%. kind of getting outside, having a bit of movement and walking. You know, I hope, you know, you as the listeners that I'm certain you've enjoyed the episode so far. Wrong, it's been amazing. Um, but I hope you enjoy when you come on the Stompcast, going for a walk, that you genuinely feel better uh, for it. Because life is stressful, isn't it? It's hard. We're all busy. There's all stuff going on all the time. You know, we just want you to feel a bit happier and a bit healthier. Let's, in this part now, delve into our third kind of big topic. And it's this idea of habits of successful people. I think we have this preoccupation, I guess, with success, you know, and, and a lot of people think immediately when you say the word success about career and achievements, but I'm taking a very broad view of that. It's doing the things that you care about and doing them well. Are there things that you've noticed, and I'm certain there are, amongst the people you've interviewed over the last six years or the people you've met in your life uh, in terms of habits that keep coming up or things that they do, I guess, that might contribute to success? And then a little later, let's think about perhaps some of the things that people do that might make them successful, but might not be that great for their health. <laughs> Look, I think you've hinted at it already in your question, Alex, which is, the word success, right? I mean, how many letters has it got? Seven? Is it seven? You're asking a dys dyslexic guy. Right. <laughs> I'm going to go with right. you on so this one. So it's a word. <laughs> but that word can mean so many different things, yeah. right? And that's, you know, I think we cover this in part two. One of the places we go wrong is that we confuse success and happiness. I think it really is such a common, common theme out there, which is why many people are struggling in their lives and feeling stressed and feeling burnt out. So I think the first thing they, they're very good at is they know what success mm. means for them. Mm. And they've often made mistakes along the way. Mm -hmm. That's what's really interesting. I, in fact, I wish it didn't have to be like this, but part of me thinks that humans have to almost experience pain to learn the most important lessons. I, I, feel, I feel this quite a lot. I think that, you know, it's kind of like the analogy that there's only one way to, you know, uh, have walked, you know, a hundred miles and that is to walk a yeah. hundred miles. Like there's no, you know, there's no other way of doing it. You have to, to gain the experience of what it feels like to walk hundred miles. You've got to go out and do it. And, and that I think is the hard part. Perhaps we can shave off some of that by sharing experiences and advice and, and I guess turn it maybe to 50 miles. <laughs> so it's not quite as far, but there yeah. is part of it. But exactly, and I, I would say that's one of my biggest challenges as a parent is I know that the most important things I've learned in my life came through pain, came through adversity. But of course, as a dad, I want to protect my children from adversity as much as I can. So I have this kind of tension in my brain, which is how are they going to learn unless they do suffer? And here's the that point. must be that such a weird thing to think as a dad, though, because you never you, the last you don't want your children to ever go through difficulty or suffering, but it's inevitable, isn't it? It's inevitable. And so where I'm sitting at with this as a theme these days is, look, 
You don't have to look far for suffering. <laughs> There's a plenty of suffering out there. Adversity is coming for all of us in some shape or form, right? So my job is to be there for them, to provide that safe space where they know they can talk to me. They know that their mum and me will always be there for them. Do you know what I mean? So provide that scaffolding, that safety, because you can't avoid it. So yeah, so you know, back, back to your question, which is about what are those habits that I've seen? As I say, firstly, they're very clear on what it is that they want. They smart also, goals, is that a smart goal? Is that I would say it's a smart goal, yeah. I mean, I don't know if... The, they know where they want to go, I guess. It's like, what are you, if you want to be successful, I guess that's all around the definition of what is it, what is success? Like, literally, what are you trying to do? Yeah, so in terms of broad themes, I think they're very good at doing the things that they need to do to get there. And then by default, that sort of, it kind of erodes away at the space that's left for other things. So some people, for example, to be, let's say, a top sports star, well, they can do it because they know I have to do this week after week, 52 weeks a year, but they often get there, but they neglect their friendships and their family. And I do think about this a lot. I swing to so many people, Alex, on my podcast about this. One comes to mind is Johnny Wilkinson, right? Johnny Wilkinson, 2003, kicks the winning drop goal in the last minute of the World Cup final in rugby. Mm. Right, for many kids around the UK and around the world, that is a childhood dream. I remember it. I just remember watching it. Yeah. Remember it. You but remember he it. told me that even before, as the ball left his foot, even before it had gone in, he starts to come down. Yeah. He starts to come down. The next, One of the worst the, nights of his life, wasn't it? He said yeah. it's awful. He's depressed and anxious. For and 10 years. Next morning, he couldn't get out of bed. He's like, well, what do I do now? Mm. Like, everything felt pointless after that and, and he said that this is the thing that I really remember from what Johnny said to me is that he said I used to play rugby for the love of the game and at some point I started to play rugby because it said something about who I was so his relationship with the game started to mm. change and I think we can all learn a lesson from that and go well what is it in our life that we used to do for joy and for pleasure and for fun and did it at some point start to change, that can be a really good marker that although we're getting our, in inverted commas, success, it may be coming at the cost of something else. It kind of makes me think of also that, that point, you know, I've heard, I heard this analogy before that, you know, um, people see success like climbing a mountain, as you say you're climbing Everest, and the higher that you climb, the more people that you lose along the way, and as you get to the summit, there's only a few at the top, and it sounds, it sounds a very, you know, like a, you know, it's, I don't know, it's like a movie kind of thing, but I kind of think there is some truth that if you want extreme levels of success um, or you want to be so focused on achieving this thing, then sometimes sacrifice is inevitable and perhaps the, the upset and the pain comes that when you weren't really truly okay with the sacrifice, you wanted both. Yeah, exactly. But then I'm not sure, right? And I'm writing a lot about this in my next book at the moment. So I've, I've just written a chapter on this and the heroes and I'm kind of really exploring this idea. But let's take some, some examples. Tiger Woods, right? One of the most successful and wealthiest athletes of all time, doing things that no one has ever done before, right? You can't be Tiger Woods. You, you can't only have one aspect of being exactly. Tiger. You have to have everything. Everything. You, so you, people go, I want to play golf like Tiger. Well, you can't. If you want to play golf like Tiger, you had to have had no childhoods. You had to have had a single focused parent drilling you to be the best golfer in the world from the age of two. 
His dad used to shout racist abuse at him when he was on the range when he was eight years old, not to hurt him, to train him. He said, son, you're gonna get this when you're on the courses, so you need to shut this out. So when you understand, and I've looked at his childhood in great detail, then the blow up that happened in his adult life makes complete sense. Of course it was gonna happen. It was, it was actually inevitable, right? So a lot of us think we wanna be Tiger Woods, but do we? Do you really wanna be Tiger? I think most mm. of us don't. Michael Phelps, how many Olympic Another gold medals example. has he won? Great example, right? yeah. He's been suicidal, yeah. huge mental health problems, because when you look at what these guys had to do and sacrifice, to be the best of the best of the best, it's not compatible with those three ingredients of happiness yeah. that we spoke about in part two. That's right? so, it's so true, isn't it? When you really think about it that way, it's, it's that kind of, it's that saying of like, at what cost? You know, what, at, what, at what cost are you willing to, to pay? Because there's always a price to pay for everything, even on your body. I mean, you look at people that do ultra marathons and, you know, and I know a lot of people really, really do enjoy that, but you know, the more ultra marathons you do, the more damage you, you do to your, your body. I mean, the, the evidence of like benefit of health, shall we say, of doing loads and loads of ultra marathons isn't that great for you. But your definition for success might be like, I want to run the fastest Ironman yeah. time, right? But is that compatible necessarily with all the other parts of health? Maybe not. Maybe the two and, don't and, and then going into this kind of societal myth that I think we all grow up with, we grow up with the image of Tiger on a billboard, of Michael Phelps on a billboard, or whoever else it might be. So as a kid... Always smiling. Uh, exactly. Always smiling and And so happy. we believe that that is mm. success. And happiness. And that goes into what we spoke about in part two and part one. It all links in together where we start pushing ourselves beyond what we're capable of to try and meet this kind of mythical ideal. So, I, you know, one of my dream guests to interview is Tiger Woods. I don't know if it will ever happen. I would... Manifest. It's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. to sit across the table with Tiger. And I'll be honest, I'm a huge fan of Tiger. I would never have played golf in my life coming up from, you know, from Indian immigrants living in, you know, the UK. Golf didn't feature in my childhood. It's not something mum and dad would do. It's not something that I was really exposed to. If Tiger Woods didn't exist, I never would have got on a golf course, right? So Tiger did something and I used to watch him and I was so inspired by watching what he would do. But one question I've got for Tiger is, was it worth it? Yeah. Would he trade it all yeah. in? Was it worth it? Would he trade it all in for a quieter life where he goes to yeah. work nine to five, Monday to Friday, has a stable marriage, great relationship with his kids? Would he? I don't know. He may mm. not be able to answer that. It's kind of like the, there's a documentary recently, I don't know if you saw it, but Robbie Williams, and he did, it was four episodes, look, and he was looking at his life. And, you know, I, I watched uh, Robbie live. Uh, I love his music, and I met him once backstage. He was a lovely guy. But when I watched the, the documentary, I asked myself the question of, like, is it worth it looking at his life? What, was it worth it? And I, you know, it's the same kind of question I'd ask him. And I actually wonder, and my instinct, my gut would say no. You know, the way that he looks back on everything, it isn't with a fond view of that time. It's like, again, almost what you said earlier, like at some point, the love of the music changed and it was like chasing the success, the pressure to get the albums, you know, papers saying you're rubbish unless you're top of the what you call yeah. so unless you're number one in all the charts, you're nothing. <laughs> And obviously, I'm just paraphrasing as to what the kind of the, but that, the message that, but that was. But that Alex resonated is a, heavily. Literally, you can literally go online and read thousands of those yeah. stories. Whether it's you know Jim Carrey, Tiger Woods, Robbie Williams, whoever. Very few of them, from what I've seen, 
manage to keep happiness at the same time. So is it perhaps the question then, not so much like how do we become successful, what are the habits to be successful, but perhaps what does it mean to us to be successful and should we actually be tapering that expectation, you know, that kind of theory of expectation gap, the idea that, you know, you feel that you failed if you set, you know, such and such, I know. Again, a theme that keeps coming up in our conversation, Alex, is intention and self-reflection, right? If we never step outside of our lives to reflect on our lives, I think we struggle, right? Elid Kipchoge, right? I spoke to him about a year and a half ago. He is the only human in history to run a marathon in under two hours. He's regarded as the greatest marathon runner of all time. He's Kenyan. It's, it's, it's nuts, right? <laughs> yeah. And it took me two years to get that interview. I was working on it for ages because he's, he's someone who's very magnetic. He seems to be very at peace, very clear with his goals, and he lives a very simple life. You know, he trains in Kenya. I hear that he's still, you know, even though he's like one of the world's best athletes, I think he still cleans the toilets. He takes it in turns with everyone in the running camp. You know, there's a real, um, there's no ego there. And I spoke to him in London a week after he broke the world record in Berlin. And there were so many things that um, stuck with me from that conversation that relate to what we're talking about. Number one, I said to him, Elliot, do you think you'll still be running when you're 70? And he was almost aghast by the question. He said, of course I'll be running. What would it say about me if I only run to get Olympic medals and world records? No, running is life. I want to teach the world to run. I thought that's awesome, right? Because it means that he'll still run, whether he's the best in the world or not, he's still going to be running because running does something for him. So that's one thing I remember. I'm not, I thought about this conversation for a while, actually. Another thing I remember is he said to me, he never runs alone. Right, so check this. They never, ever train by themselves. Wow. They that surprises me. Run that really surprises me, actually. Yeah, and I think that's a real East and Western thing, mm. right? Whereas, what do we do? We work hard, we're by ourselves, we go, oh God, I need to run to unwind. Mm. So when I go and run, and I do this as well, put my headphones on, listen to a podcast, switch off. Everything's on your own, right? And he said, no, we run together. I said, but yeah, but Ellie, you're the fastest. Yeah, he's like, run so on the people trying to run with him. But, he's like, no, <laughs> we run together. Because then if I'm not showing people, up, yeah. someone's on the phone saying, hey, Ellie, are you okay? What's up, man? Why don't you come and join us? So I thought that's incredible. The other thing that I think really speaks to this part of our conversation, Alex, is that he journals after every run with pen and paper. So even with all the tech that exists now and his athlete, you know, his coach may be tracking his heart rate or whatever it might be, he literally writes after every run. What happened? How was it? How did it feel? Have I got any niggles afterwards? So he's got a full documentation of all of his runs for like decades with pen and paper. And he says that's a really, really important part. So, Reflection is huge. Understanding and I, why. And I got a real sense mm. from him that he is happy and content. Mm. You know, I've spoken to people who I felt, you know, I've, I've had the luxury of speaking to some incredibly successful people on my show. And sometimes you get the sense that there's not a sense of peace, mm. that they're not grounded and calm. But Eddie Kipchoge was. I think, you know, if you were to take away as a listener those three things alone from that, that yeah. conversation you had, uh, and of course go and have a listen to the full, the full episode, as I will do now, I think just take away even those three things as a starting point. Like, if you're going to do something, do it for the right reasons, right, yeah. I guess. Make sure that, you know, that you're not becoming like isolated, climbing that mountain, that people are kind of with you. Yeah. And just have that ability to reflect and go, like, where am I? Like, am I, am I doing this now? 
for the reasons that I started? If not, why? Is there a good reason for that? Or have I become so obsessed with the yeah. pressure and the success that I've lost the why? And a good question I think for people to ask themselves is, would I still be doing this if no one was watching? That's a brilliant, brilliant question. Particularly today in the world yeah, of social media, so uh, in, in this world of, in a world that craves external validation. And again, I ain't judging here. That has been me for most of my life. It's something I think I've mostly let go of. I don't think it's all completely gone, but it's much better than it was. You don't want to be doing things. So, sure, some things for your work if you have to, but the things that really speak to you that you're doing, just check, you know, well, if they speak to you, I guess you would be doing it for intrinsic reasons as opposed to external reasons. But I guess I just want people to start assessing what do they do in their life? Forget work for a minute. If they're, you know, we can talk about passion and doing a job that you love. Great, but not everyone has that luxury. I do these days. But if you don't, well, in your non-work time, what do you do? What, what are your hobbies? You know, and which ones of those would you still do if you couldn't post about it on social media? I think that's a really key question because then you know you're doing it for the love and the intrinsic enjoyment of that thing rather than just to get likes. So, Rong, are you ready for a health fact of the week? I am. Uh, and you love, you love your research, I know. So, research from Indiana University found that in order to remember something, you should write handwritten notes rather than type them. And this is the reason for this is that writing is thought to boost your memory as note taken by hand requires different brain processes. For example, if you're in a lecture and you're about... For example, if you're in a lecture and you're writing notes, you have to listen carefully to what the speaker said to understand it, summarise it, because it's impossible to write, say, as quickly as you would type. And if you write something down, there's a brain process that you go through in order to assimilate and to, to, to store that yeah. uh, information. So therefore, you know, this process, you know, listening, digesting and writing down with good old fashioned pen and paper can be a helpful way to learn and retain. So my, my question to you would be, you know, are you, you know, you see so much research, you hear so many things. Are you a pen and paper person? How do you learn things? How do you remember? I am, I'm totally old school, mm. right? I do everything pen and paper. So I journal every morning, pen and paper. Mm. Um, I like the texture. Mm. I like feeling it. Um, everything about it, I really, really enjoy. When I get sent books for authors who are coming on my mm. podcast, I won't, I never want the ebook. I'm not interested. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't think I've researched a single one of my guests electronically. It's always been with a real book. Um, and actually, you know, I do long form conversations. So often my conversations with guests are 90 minutes, two hours long. And I will, I don't have a researcher, so I do it all myself. And then about an hour before the guest arrives to my studio, I've got this, I guess it's a big journal, as it were, this big sort of pad. Mm -hmm and I've got four colored pens and I start writing down ideas and themes and I sort of put arrows between them to sort of link them. I don't have any question sets. So I, I've learned to trust myself mm. and, and to trust that the right thing will come out at the right time. Mm. But this process of writing it down, I think helps to really lock in these ideas in my brain so that when I'm having a conversation, mm. it all just comes. Mm. So I'm very much old school. And, and actually, I love hearing that bit of research that you just shared because with my um, patients who I recommended journaling to, mm. when they asked me, well, can I just do it on my phone? I said, look, you can do it on your phone. And you'll probably, if I'm honest, still get some benefits. Mm. But I think you're going to get more of a benefit 
when he actually writes it down. And I've seen that time and time again. Well, I mean, I, I, I do my um, reflection at the end of the year um, on pen and paper. And the weeks, like, I, I like to reflect, especially because the year is a long time, over a few weeks. So I've got like pad of paper and I've got several sheets I've been writing on. And I find it, yeah, that process of writing by hand to be so kind of such a great way to kind of get it locked in. And, and, and like you said, there's something, there's something more engaging about it, I think. You know, because your handwriting, when you type something, it's Arial 12, right? When you write it in my horrible, messy writing, it is me that comes through onto that paper. Totally. When I read it, it is me that is on that paper. And that has power. Not that standard font, whatever it might be. The it's Arial like, no, you whatever, wrote yeah. that. It doesn't matter what your handwriting is. Mm. It's, the fact is, it's your handwriting. And the good news is that no one can read it because <laughs> my handwriting is so bad. Yeah. And I, 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 this, it's interesting because, you know, you're saying about uh, the questions and things. So when I had you... Um, you know, as we close the loop, if you like, of the conversation right from the start. When I had you on the uh, waiting room uh, in January, well, it's actually recorded in December, but it went out in January of 2020, I had a lot of questions written down and you know, things were very... But now I think one of the things that I do is that, almost like they say at med school, is put the pen and paper down when you're talking to someone, look at them, yeah. listen to what they're saying and react. You know, I have a title for each part and the thing that I want to ask my guests that I come to after you know researching reading about them obviously it helps the fact that I've spoken to you before and have kind of seen everything that you've done but there's three key things the rest of it is trusting your ability to ask the right questions isn't it yeah to, to just to follow your intuition I think there's something in there about not just for interviewing and things but for life as well just like trust your gut's ability to follow the right direction 100% if in doubt trust your gut. Thank you so much for joining me on, on the Stompcast. I mean, you've been so generous with your time and I really, really appreciate it. And it honestly, it's been amazing to see, you know, how well that you've done. And, you know, I think the consistency of your podcast is down to the fact that you have remembered the why throughout and that has remained a consistent part of what you do. So thank you so much. Alex, and obviously listen, success. I've had an absolute blast. Thank you for coming up to see me. Um, and this is such a great idea, walking whilst podcasting. I Walk love and it. talk. Do you feel and, relaxed uh, now going, so you're going, to, going to pick up your, your children, is that I'm right? I'm going to so get my daughter from get school. Get your daughter from school and, and you feel relaxed. I feel totally chilled and relaxed. Like I've really enjoyed that. So. And you've got your movement and you've got your steps in as well. In. So you've hit maybe two, two pillars. You've done a bit of relaxation and a bit of movement. It's exactly. And you might and sleep one. well for it tonight. Exactly, and I'll sleep better tonight. <laughs> see, all pillars can interact. Oh, Thank Alex, you so much. I really much. enjoyed that. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much. Right, everyone, well, we'll see you over on behind the Stompcast in a moment. We'll reflect and some of the key things that we talk about the guests so that what we do uh, wrong as myself and uh, producer Abby have a chat about the things that have come out of the conversation oh, nice. almost in a mini bite-sized 10 minutes um, reflecting on that so head over and have a listen we bring experiences from our own lives uh, as well so have a listen on that on Apple Podcasts otherwise look after yourselves and see you very soon goodbye